What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, we are bringing a speaker from the 2023 Hyperfast Agent Summit. Stand by for an introduction from the one and only Dustin Brown. you've all been waiting for. The next speakers are all all-stars of the Florida real estate scene. They're here to share their expertise in the market and help you sell more homes and make more money. Give it up for Justin Watson, Casey Anderson, Amanda Siftar, Jimmy Branham, and Dan Lesniak. <laughs> Thank you guys for being on the panel today. We've got a lot of amazing real estate agents who run, they're all successful, they all do it, you know, something similar, some things different, so we're gonna learn a lot. So let's just start off by quickly introducing yourself and tell everyone a little bit about your business. All right, so this works, okay, good. So I'm Justin Watson. I currently do real estate in uh, three states, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Florida. Run a team of nine in Pennsylvania team of twos in Maryland and uh, Florida. So uh, with EXP Realty, we've been, it's been a crazy few years. I was a solo agent about two years ago. Saw the benefits of a team, scaling, leverage. You know, that's kind of where our success has come. We did 230 uh, deals last year. So, yeah. Bad. My name is Amanda Sifter. I am from Tampa, Florida. I have been licensed for 17 years. I actually was with the uh, largest independent luxury firm in Tampa. Uh, I just switched to EXP about uh, three, four months ago, and I have sold uh, about 250 million. Uh, last year, I sold 31 million. Um, and I, the way my team is structured right now, is you know a solo with uh, administrative help and a showing assistant. Don't make fun of me, because I'm a note taker. And I'm like, what am I gonna do when I'm like amongst all these awesome people and I'm not gonna have my notes? So I just went ahead and brought my notes up. So it's okay, you can make fun of me. But I'm Casey Anderson. Um, I own the Coastal Realm Group here. And um, I honestly am probably gonna be the rookie out of everybody in this room. Um, I got my license in April, and prior to that, I used to be a mortgage broker, and so some of you have helped with your loans, so I'm sorry, now I'm on the dark side with you, kind of, but um, yeah, so thank you for having me. Um, collectively, right now, I've had 9.1 million in sales, 8.6 million I had to close under somebody else, which is okay, I learned a lot, um, and so I'm going to keep on trucking with my beautiful team. Hey everybody, I'm Jimmy Branham. I've been in the real estate industry for about 18 years now. Uh, I think, am I the only person on stage that's not at EXP? Is it, is, really? This is I mean, oh, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, it's getting a little warm up here, I don't know. Uh, um, I've, I've kind of uh, run the gamut in real estate. I started young and selling development deals, worked on my own, now I have a small team. 
and we really focus on luxury sales and waterfront properties kind of in the southeast Florida region. All right, we, we can stick with Jimmy down there. Biggest challenge you had in the last year in real estate? The biggest challenge? Um, it was inventory. I mean, I think inventory was the largest challenge down here in our market for sure. Uh, we were looking at about one month of inventory overall. If we were trying to find a single family home for any buyer, uh, that has now jumped up to about three to four months of inventory, depending on where you're at. If you're really digging into a market, you could get up to six to eight months, but it just depends on where you're at. But the challenge has always been finding inventory and it still is finding realistic inventory in our market right now. So finding those off market buyers or sellers, Finding the deals that are hidden in the in the weeds, Dan, you're good at it. I mean, you're good at you know digging out there and, and getting people to either put their homes on the market or you know offer up some kind of off-market deal. Do you think the the you know you say three to four months in some places, six months in others? Do you think there's like like a lot of that's fake inventory, like it's sellers that are priced too yeah. high and that the real, real inventory Absolutely. is actually much lower than that? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of really unrealistic inventory right now. You'll see, if you go check listing history, you'll pull it up, you'll see a property that just hit the market a week ago, you get excited, send it to the buyer and you go, oh my gosh, this guy bought it for 200,000 a year and a half ago and now he wants 1.2 million. No way, it's not gonna happen. And it's not because of wh where they bought it, it's really the market's not there, it hasn't caught up to it. And they're just throwing a Hail Mary. They probably have it already out on Airbnb somewhere. They're, they're turning it, they're short-term renting it to everybody that's coming through. And they're like, yeah, you know, if I make a million bucks, great. So a lot of the inventory numbers, if you're running straight through the MLS, be careful. Try to dig in a little bit deeper and find out where's the realistic inventory. Because you'll see when, when stuff is priced right, it's flying off the shelf still. It's still going really fast. Um, biggest challenge for me is um, I found that sellers would be wanting to sell and then let's see if everyone can shout out this answer. What would they say? If I sell, what am I going to do? Right? So I would be breaking my back to find something for them um, to prepare them to sell. And I do believe that sellers are making a ton of money. Um, and still in this weird market now that we've transitioned, now they're having a lot more power and flexibility. So I would try to use that to tell them comfortably without being a slimy, where's Jeff, a slimy car salesman, um, of saying like, hey, you're gonna make a crap ton of money still. Um, you can still either go invest, you can use cash, you can go, money's still quote unquote historically cheap to borrow, despite what the media tells us. So my biggest challenge was just trying to find them something while preparing them to sell and then keeping them excited to sell and then look at property that might be a little bit more affordable. So the biggest challenge for me was really understanding, actually just to tag off that, understanding the psychology of the buyer and the seller because I feel like at the beginning of the year, right, the buyers were the ones that were having the challenge and it was up to us to help the buyer understand how to structure the offer. They're gonna be in a multiple offer situation. What is it that we can do to help them you know, win that bid? So it was the buyer psychology. And then the second of the year, switching it over because the sellers had not caught that memo that the market had shifted. They still had their prices unreasonably high and we had to kind of show them the data and try to get the buyer and the seller to match up, which quite frankly has still been challenging. 
we're getting better there. We're, you know, getting better, but there's definitely a disconnect between buyer expectations and seller expectations in 2022. Yeah, and just what everybody here said, inventory, psychology, yeah. everything. Uh, one thing I, I will add to that, though, is the uh, with the mortgage rates, because going from 2021 to 2022, you're looking at threes, and now you're up to you know fives. That affects what people can buy. So if you have someone who was a pre, you know pre-approved for $220,000 in 2021, now they're maybe 180, 175, just because of interest rates. So, and then obviously with the, with the prices still staying higher on the sales side. You kind of we kind of lost out a lot of buyers, and it's kind of like, well, you should have, you know, bit the bullet and bought it last year when you could afford it more. So, that that has definitely been a challenge for for last year. Yeah. So buyers now they, they've moved from having sticker shock to interest rate shock. How are you overcoming those objections and, and mindset within to get them to move forward? Uh, so, so with that, I mean, obviously we're trying to do, you know. Um, you know, buying down interest rates is a big thing. Uh, I think uh, moving into this year, you know, having seller assist coming back in, seller credit to help with those things. And again, you know, talk to the psychology of the sellers who, you know, were like, we don't do seller assist anymore. It's like, well, well, it's starting to come back a little bit to make it more uh, affordable for buyers can actually do things like that. So uh, definitely buying down things. Um, I don't like talking too much about mortgages, but you know, the adjustables are kind of starting to come in a little bit here. You know, I don't say scary, but I don't get into mortgages. So, um, but um, definitely, like I said, doing seller credit, having the having the, the, the market balance back to buyers and sellers. So, I since you talked about buy downs, I'll talk about something else. But I think that um, you know, I apologize. Say the question again, because I already have my answer. So buyers have moved from price sticker shock to interest rate shock. Gotcha. How are we moving them past that? Okay, so one thing besides the buy down that people talk about is, well, you know, I can't afford it, right? So using a half a million dollar example, 2300 to $2,500 at 3%, and then obviously at 6%, it was, was double, right? Prices, however, did decrease to some extent in our area at least. So maybe 10, 15%. So if we really stop and break it down and we look at, well, look, this same house, you would have been competing with 10 people, right? Now you can get it at a better price. You're not competing. You're not giving up your firstborn child to get this home. And yes, right now your payments are higher. But if you look at the difference between what you would have paid and what you're paying now, and we assume that rates are going to drop sometime in the next couple of years. That's what we're hoping for, right? We can't guarantee it, but we can explain to them that yes, for the first couple of years, your payments are going to feel higher, but then at some point you're going to be able to refinance. The thing is, is if they don't like the payments, they can rent and rents are also equally high. So there's really not, I hate to say there's not a great solution, but there's not, you're either going to pay a higher mortgage payment than you're used to paying, or you're gonna pay a higher rent. So you have to pick and, and you know, that's what I would say to them. I love that, because everything you just said is exa exactly what I say to my clients. I'm like, look, you can refi later um, if need be, and you have the opportunity to. Um, you can go rent and pay someone else's mortgage and 110 million percent interest rate. 
Um, and then have the uncertainty of you and your family just got grounded. And this is, I take a more personal approach and try to step away from the numbers for a second. And I say, look, like, time is money, right? Okay, 100%. Carrie, that's like the first thing you and I talked about is time is money. And for me, I say the same thing to my clients. Like, look, you're going to spend all this time renting, moving in and out, getting approved by associations. You can't bring your brand new F-150 in this parking lot because they don't allow it, so you have to go find something else, and it might be something that's you're settling for. And in return, it's like all of that time, money that you're putting into renting, um, and again, I know each person is different, but I try to take more of a psychological approach of like, you're gonna put so much time, effort, energy, loss, heartache, um, regret, and spending money during this rental process. So, but, Obviously, that's always that's not going to be enough for me to say that to a client. What's you know what's the logical thing? What's black and white? And which is the numbers? And something that I always focus on with my lender, which I have two lenders. One of them represents somebody in here. I forget it's USA Bank, but I can't remember the person that's in here. That USA I, Mortgage. U, USA Mortgage. So Megan Charneco and I, um, we just had a client recently where the interest rate was really high. Um, not really high, it was just higher for the client and sticker shock. And I went to the agent and I said, hey, you know, we need a $10,000 credit for the windows um, and she's gonna go buy down the rate. And I said, this is, and I really vetted the buyer. This is an awesome, awesome single family or single mom. And I wanna do this for her. I'm gonna throw in some commission. Our lender's gonna throw in some commission, which is real. Ask your lender for a little bit of help to kinda offset that and then buy down the costs and so with that um, we offered a quick closing to the seller's agent which was really appetizing for them and then they gave us what we wanted and we we sold in 14 days thank you megan charnico um, these answers up here are perfect about how to ob object to those situations but i think it's a huge help to make sure you ask your buyers great questions at the beginning get to know your buyer personally get to know where they're coming from and exactly what they're looking for and then you can navigate around those questions and really best help them because maybe it's not the best thing for your buyer to close and do something right now handling an objection is not always hey do what i want you to do it's here's your situation i'm going to try to help you and counsel you do the best thing that's actually for you and that's what we're here for so i think one of the surprises for many people this year has been how crowded open houses were early January, right? So what are you doing to leverage open houses and how are you converting the people that walk in into to buyers and move up buyers? Start with, Start down Start with me. Oh, um, we like to try to do a small canvas around an open house. I think a lot of agents are doing this now. We'll do, we'll knock on maybe 50 doors, deliver an invitation, um, we're not getting an answer typically, but at least we're giving some literature to them uh, and inviting them. And then of course when we're there, we want a good atmosphere, house showing well, and then we're there to get the information and then of course make the warm introduction. We want them to not only love the house, but we want them to love us there and see how professional we are, how we work with, with the listing because open houses, most people are looking for buyers, we're looking for other listings in the neighborhood and we want them to be impressed with the way we work. Um, something with my team, we have all hands on deck, no matter whose listing it is. 
Um, every person that comes in the door, um, we try not to be so fixated on selling and being like, let me show you this. What do you think? You want to buy? You want to put an offer in? We're more of like, hey, are you local? Because obviously in South Florida, so many people are either born and raised here or it's a you know gigantic melting pot. So we typically, we get relational. Are you local? Are you visiting? Or do you live down the street? Um, we try to get more details about like if they have kids. And I actually walk around with my phone on my follow-up boss. I don't know if you guys have follow-up boss or KB Core. And I put their name when I meet them, because how many times do you meet somebody like, oh my gosh, I don't know what their name is. I put their name in my follow-up boss, in my CRM, um, and I write details in my notes. Five kids, wants a pool. Maybe this isn't an option for them. And then I'll say, well, here, what's your phone number? Put it here, and they literally put it in my CRM um, and say, you know, I'm gonna follow up with you and see what you think about this house. I want you to sit on it. And if not, I can send you other options. So that's one way we leverage the actual people that are foot traffic coming in the door. Same thing, um, what you said about you know knocking on doors. Um, Kelsey and I just had great success on knocking on a door locally down the street, talking about an open house we have and that we are determined to sell our seller's house that we wanna invite. If you know anybody personally that wants to live here in this neighborhood and we don't make it about, I can sell your house too, right? And then we just recently got a $1.4 million listing from that because they saw that we were hitting the pavement in three-inch heels trying to sell our open house. So, yeah. So I actually really love open houses. And some people ask me, they're like, you have this great production. Do you actually host your open houses? And the answer is absolutely. I feel like there's a really great opportunity to convert buyers, and it's a missed opportunity. I agree with what they said. Um, I let them kind of do their own thing. I generally ask where it is they heard from us, right? Because I can tell what kind of buyer that is. Are they from out of state? Is it a neighbor, right? What type of buyer is it? And then once they've kind of toured the house and I feel like I'm at a point where I can connect with them, I actually take the time and I have, <laughs> I have sheets. If they're from out of state and I want to connect with them, schools. What are the local you know, restaurants in the area? And I don't necessarily print them. I know some people have their, their, their thought process on that, but I wanna make sure I'm capturing their information, their correct information. Um, another thing I feel like that's really helpful in, in converting them is a lot of times when they come into the house, maybe it's not the house, right? They think they like it online, they get in there. And so I will actually have a printout of the other homes that are for sale within, let's say, a two mile radius at let's say it's half a million to 700,000 and then three to 500,000. And based off their answer, I will say, look, take this list, go drive around. If you wanna see any of those homes, let me know. And if I really am ambitious, I will actually go after, if I have their phone number, forget MLS, I'll go to the neighborhood. Like she said, knock on doors. I will make listings happen out of nothing. I will text that buyer, hey, I ran into a neighbor and this is what's going on. Would you like to come see this house? They may never buy it, but then there's the opportunity to develop, hey, you work for me, I want you to be my realtor, and then you also have the opportunity of getting the listing. Uh, definitely, for me, it's planning. I plan everything, and I, I, I explain this to uh, a lot of my, uh, all my sellers is, I, I mean, I need like a week and a half, I plan everything. When it comes to open houses, if I wanna do an open house, if I'm gonna spend my two, three, four hours, whatever is an open house, I want it to be the most productive three, four, hours possible. So one thing I'd like to do too as well is uh, I'll bring in a preferred lender 
uh, bring in a title company, someone to do, you know, even sometimes both of them, do a 20 minute presentation on uh, what title insurance is. Most people don't know the difference between mortgage title insurance and personal title insurance. Uh, bring in a lender, first time home buyers, talk about, you know, um, there's a million things they could talk about. And then you're actually bringing in a crowd that aren't even interested in that house, but you know what, they're interested in buying a house and the future. So again, everything is, you know, for me it's time management, circle prospecting, definitely, yeah. door knocking, um, even if you get an assistant that could just make phone calls, you know, in the neighborhood there. Um, but it's a definitely an opportunity to get in front of people and then obviously, yes, show off the property. I always go to my own open houses because no one knows that property better than I can and I want to sell that house to the people coming in there. So even if they have agents, my job is to sell the house. So that's, so plan, don't, don't shoot from the hip, okay? So. What are you doing right now to handle sellers that have too high of a price in mind when you, when you meet them? Maybe they're still thinking it was May of 2022, or maybe they're just completely unrealistic. How are you overcoming that objection to still get the listing, but either at the right price or a path to get to the right price? So I, I, I totally play hardball. Um, I don't, again, kind of what I said about the open houses, I don't waste my time. And I'll be very, you know, Fort Worth with, with uh, sellers about that. So I tell them, um, I show them my history, everything, I can't remember the last time I had a, a listing go for like more than maybe two weeks, but if you plan, if, if, if you price everything the right way the first time, you only get one time to make a first impression. And I explained that. I was like, well, we can drop it later. I was like, well, if you drop it later, if someone sees you dropping a price once, they're going to know what they're going to think is they're going to drop it twice or three times. So I just have hard conversations with people. Um, I, I talked to my team about it. Uh, I got one team member here today. And it's all about, it's, it's all about confidence. How you talk about yourself and your business will depend on how that seller is going to relate to you and how much they're going to trust you. I mean, they might say, oh, this house sold for this. I was like, well, that was four months ago. You know, it's not that. It's not 2022 anymore. So, um, but just basically being confident, know your, know your comps, show them what's sitting on the market. You know, hey, this is on the market 30 days. They've done two price reductions so far. You know, it's not moving. So you gotta get, you know, you're gonna be the new, fresh, brand new blood, you know? Make it worth it, do it right, so. The problem when you price it too high is if you're waiting for them to then do the price reductions, at the very end, they're frustrated with you as the agent, and at the end, they blame you, right? Even though you may have warned them, they somehow forget, and then you're the agent that gets fired. So I actually used to be that agent that if I did not feel we were within maybe 10, 15, 20,000 of what I thought it was worth, I would say to them, I, I completely respect your opinion, I would encourage you to go with that other agent, and when they can't sell your house, and I said it in a nicer way, you know, call me back, right? That said, I, I would watch a few of those, and some of them did sell, and I was like, okay, maybe I should tweak this a little bit. So what I now do, here's my compromise, if there's going to be a compromise, on the listing agreement itself, if I feel like it is worth X and they feel like it is worth a higher X, I write it into the listing agreement up front that within two weeks, if we don't have offers and or traffic, we are going to reduce the price to the number that I suggested to begin with. That way we're not wasting a bunch of time. We're getting to what I suggested to begin with. They've had their opportunity to let me show them they were wrong and now we've already agreed to what that price will be. Wow, I love that. Um, 
I don't think, I mean, I'm pretty ballsy. I don't think I could do that. But um, something for me is I, I love bringing value um, and I, I hate in this industry that there's so many um, just unrealistic expectations that we just go with because we want the listing. And I'm a firm believer in when you're transparent and honest up front, I want those clients to trust me and come back to me eventually. It might not be you know, within the year, but I know eventually that they're gonna come back. And so something that I really think about when I'm talking to sellers and I'm at a listing appointment is, number one, I'm young, so that I always, like, I feel like it's, it's hard for me to like prove myself even more. But providing value, I give laminated, like detailed, um, hey, this listing sat for 96 days with no offers. I called the listing agent, here's his number. Call him and ask him why he felt his client's property sat for so long. And he's gonna tell you, and I really do, like I will vet the listing agent. I'll ask them, hey, why did this sit for so long? And they'll say I have an unre you know, reasonable seller. And I say, do you mind if I put your phone number or just put their contact on this um, listing as I give it to my seller at the listing agreement or listing presentation? No, not at all. I love that. That's awesome. Great. Thank you. And there's all of like, what, two or three that will actually like agree to that or take the time to entertain that conversation. But when we approached the sellers for that $1.4 million, we came back for the listing presentation. I gave out um, all of the comps that sat for a long time, and the biggest number on my presentation was days on the market in bold and in red. And so that they could say, what's the first thing that they're gonna see on this? It's days on the market, how long, and it's in red. And then I give them another one where I feel like these houses were priced well, they sold, and those numbers are gonna be bold, and what do you think, in what color? Green, right? Because that's like where our brain goes. So red, bad, we don't want to sit on the market this long. It's in this price range that I'm thinking about as a you know unreasonable seller. So I really should be shifting this way. And then I just leave everything with them to look over and keep. I, I like the red strategy, actually. We, we've got another Navy guy on the stage. But that, when the ships all switched from you know wind power to coal, they used to do both. And the, the captains had to enter in, in, red, in red in the logbook how many hours were in you know, the coal, because that's what costs the money. Um, so interesting concept there. That, that's where the expression redlining comes from, too. We really treat, again, each person and each property differently. If we have a seller that's beautiful southern exposure lot that's going to be $7 million, and they're sitting there going, there's not a lot to comp out, or, you know, you've got to finagle a market, we're willing to go in higher as long as we have a clear expectation of where we think a landing place should be. And of course, when I go into a listing or we take a listing that I think is slightly higher overpriced, we turn into crazy over-communication mode. Not over-communication like your listing's too high, but we are so above and beyond our communication of making them love us first so that if in three months this still isn't sold and they're like, what's going on? They're just like, yeah, but we love you guys. It doesn't matter. We're going to give it to you for another year. And, and, and the, you know, that's just what we do. So, yeah. What's one thing you're doing in your business now that you were not doing a year ago? Working a lot later. <laughs> well, considering I got my license in April, um, I went to a real estate conference out west with Big Block Realty, and 
something that I wasn't doing when I started was doing the video messaging when someone didn't answer my call. And so this year, or not this year, the last four months, I've really have tried to focus on if someone doesn't answer me, whether it's a lead that comes in or social media lead, I just send um, a nice video to their text. And I don't say anything in the text, I just send them the video. And then I put it in my follow-up box just to remind myself, because I'm human and I forget, and I'm a mom, so I have too much going on. So I just put in my follow-up box for my KB Core a reminder to touch base with that person if I hadn't heard from them. So that's what I'm doing differently. I text out a follow-up box, but I don't do video because it's just so weird on follow-up boss. Sorry, follow-up boss, I know you're out there, so maybe we can fix that. <laughs> Love you, but no. Um, one thing I'm doing different, so I, I traditionally have been very seller heavy, and that still stands, but we understand that going into this new market, seller inventory is likely going to decrease. So what I'm shifting right now as we speak is developing a better relocation um, buyer program so that when I'm talking about schools and I'm talking about restaurants and neighborhood focus, they come and they're confused because Tampa's really large and what areas do I want to live in, right? So I think trying to capture some of those relocation people is actually going to be, um, it's, it's going to be a good strategy because those people have to move, they're not as rate conscious, and you know, seller inventory is decreasing, so I'm focusing more on buyers. Uh, definitely uh, video content. Uh, I was here last year when Jeff was speaking again about the uh, uh, bomb bomb, things like that. Uh, I've, this year I'm getting into uh, actually working expires withdrawal listings with simple video messages. Send a text message to them. Uh, just say, hey, I saw your property's not on the market anymore. Hopefully you, you know, were able to find a buyer. However, if you didn't, if you'd still be open to accepting an offer, let me know. And that's basically, it's like a 15 second video. Just send them out through email, text messages, stuff like that. So, uh, but definitely video content, TikTok. Um, uh, one thing about, I was a, not off here, but you know, take what you get from this event, okay, it's the future. I was sitting at an event four years ago and they're talking about TikTok and I was like, okay, no one looked at TikTok. It's huge, so. Teams, everything, video content, definitely. What are you doing specifically on social media to stand out, stay top of mind, and get in front of new buyer and seller clients? So, so I mean, I do spend a lot of time on TikTok, okay? But I kind of look at it, my wife's like, oh, well, you know, just watching videos. I'm like, yeah, but. You know, if we get a good video, and, it, and then what's neat about uh, TikTok is you can go right over to CapCuts right from there. If you like the video, you hit CapCuts, it automatically, you just insert your pictures, it's, it took me 15 seconds, 30 seconds to do it. Super easy. Um, and again, just, just do it. But uh, definitely, you know, watching, I uh, know Jeff, he, he gave us his uh, TikTok um, Thing to watch for the uh, for the for the, the the trending sounds, you know, that's important. Um, but yeah, definitely TikTok, and you can share it over everywhere. You can share it on Reels, you can share it on Facebook. You can just I just move it over and do it one time and move it over, basically. So, 
I actually don't really have a great Instagram account yet. I am guilty. I'm the person that I'm so busy that I'm going to get to it, and I never do, right? So the, the one consistent social media marketing that I have done over the years that has paid dividends is Facebook. I am in many, many community groups. I'm admin of many community groups. I'm really active in those. And when I'm giving answers to those relocation buyers or giving answers for contractors, I'm giving really great answers. And it's not a, hey, work with me because I want to be your realtor. But over the last you know, several years, they've learned that that's what I do. And I'll just give you an example. So I'm part of this Tampa Bay Moms group. And this lady was online saying, oh my gosh, I'm building this house. I'm having a horrible, horrible time with this builder. All these things are wrong. I need help. I'm from out of state, right? And so I respond back and I give her all these things. I go into the records. I even print out these you know, things behind the scenes that the builder wasn't doing. There was codes that were being missed, et cetera. Nothing in return, right? Two weeks later, I get a phone call. Hey, we decided we're not going to move back to Tampa. Will you sell my house? Sure. House, $2 million, okay, $2 million house, put it on the market, come to find out they're moving out of Tampa now, and they have two more houses that they now want to get rid of. So I am now selling three houses from one Facebook post on somebody that was complaining on a builder that I helped them and now got three listings out of it. Okay. Um, I could talk for 20 years about this, so I'm going to try to, like, say the best that I that I can but um, I really schedule out anything that I'm doing on social media now there's some things that are like off the fly that I'll add but something that I do is what's called A to Z complimenting has anyone ever heard of that in here yes okay so A to Z complimenting um, I start off on Sunday and I, I write out my schedule of hey on Monday um, from A to D I'm gonna go on Facebook and I'm gonna search on my friends list, literally names that start with A, that I know that are local in this area. And I'm just gonna compliment something on their Facebook. And do we know what that does when we comment and they engage? Algorithms. And so what I do is I start my day off by complimenting people. Um, excuse me, what am I saying? Let me back up. I start my day off by posting something either about real estate, a quote, um, something that is aesthetically pleasing to somebody else and then I do my A to Z complimenting because what that does is then they're gonna be like who is this or oh wow I wonder how she's doing and then they're naturally gonna go back to my page and comment or look or you know stalk like we all do we're all stalkers here um, so I do that every day of the week until I get to Z I pick five people each day in the morning it takes how much I mean some of us you know might take a little bit longer but once you get into a system, I'm not kidding you, it takes maybe three, four minutes, depending on how, how fast you can do it. Um, after that, you know, I try to provide value about the market. I team up with my lenders to say, hey, how can I reach the financing audience? Because would, would this people in the room, would you say a lot of your clients are financing? Yes? No? Some of you are like, I only work with cash. I wish. <laughs> but... Um, cash is great too, and those buyers, they have specific content towards them about just how to win in the market against other buyers. So I like to provide value. Um, I like to do the A to Z complimenting in the morning. Um, I'm, I like to broaden myself as an agent, not just solely focus on, I just closed this, I just sold this, you know, 
you know, come to my broker's open only if you're invited, but DM me for details. Well, no one's gonna DM you because now they feel uncomfortable. So I try to make myself less fixated on real estate agents and more fixated on um, buyers and sellers. So providing value to them, this is what the market's doing, um, making videos, and the best thing that I can also say, and I learned this from Billy Jean, he does great marketing, um, is just simply holding your phone in your face, okay, while you're walking through an inspection. If something is negative in, your, in the inspection, say, this is why you hire a great realtor, okay? I know exactly what to look for when it comes to mold, moisture, termite damage, and show them real live footage, because what are they gonna do? They're gonna be like, oh my gosh, like, people aren't that raw to give just honest advice. They just wanna sell and make a quick check. A lot of times that's the taste that they get from realtors, at least that's what I've gotten in the past. And so I really like being authentic, showing real live footage of me at an inspection with clients in the background walking and talking because you just look more real. We work um, not as much on content creation in our social media, which might be a terrible idea, but we're at least experimenting with this. And we engage with our clients the same way you guys do. Message them, encourage them. We're, you know, we'll happy birthdays, hey, congratulations, send them encouraging notes and words that are more behind the scenes. Um, it seems to work well with some of our clients and instead of being too much in your face. Um, we also use it as a way to reach other brokers in other markets. Um, other brokers for us end up being a big source of business uh, because we work different deals and they trust us and they see us online and then we're able to work that way. So that's how we utilize it. All right, last one, uh, about 20 to 30 seconds each. If there's one skill you could wave a magic wand and make every real estate agent have, what would it be? Put other people ahead of yourself. I echo that, being authentic and not caving under this fake salesy pressure. Authentici authenticity is key. I feel like if most agents would actually practice, like role play with a partner or somebody, like objections and things in advance when those would come up I feel like you you know people would get much further um, so I would say understanding what the objections are in advance so when they come up you can overcome them easily uh, honestly if they would just answer their phone would be great <laughs> um, seriously that's the winner <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it gets it just goes instead here um, but I also do think a lot of uh, uh, like I said when you know when the market, you know, really took off. You had all these new agents coming in here with really no idea, kind of what they're doing. No offense to anybody who came in there, but uh, but had them understand that there's now a different market now. So you see them, and then they're just oh, waving inspections, you know, double transfer tax, da da da, like they go everything. I'm like, listen, there's you're the only offer. I mean, I, I feel. I mean, that's my job to do as best for my client, but I'm like, I kind of feel bad too. So make sure, um, I wish they could understand the market and actually what their job is, and I know you mentioned it before, you know, do what's best for your client, not what's best for your paycheck. Don't, 100%. like, I sell the house when I'm the listing agent. I don't sell when I'm the buyer, buyer's agent. So, don't sell, so do what's best for your clients. Thank you, let's all give it up for these panelists. They did amazing.
All right. Thank you for tuning in to this special edition. Carrie and I love doing the Hyperfast Agent Summit. We love doing events. And guess what? Even more than that, we love partnering with real estate agents. Uh, and now we're, what, in over 12 states, 15 states. We love partnering with real estate agents from all over the country. If you want to get access to top-level training, to multiple real estate coaching programs, to mentoring from myself and Carrie Shaw, to help in scaling your business and building multiple streams of income by partnering with us at EXP Realty, I would be honored to sponsor you along with Carrie Shaw at EXP Realty. All you need to do is send me a text message to 703-638-4393. Again, that is 703-638-4393. Just text me, yes, it is me, and I will respond and talk to you about how you can partner with Carrie Shaw and I at eXp Realty. Thanks for tuning into the show. We'll see you next time.